When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Welcome to Upfront with Theo Walcott and me, Sam Matterface, on TalkSport. This is the show that takes you into the world of a striker as we find out what it takes to be a top-flight centre-forward. Over the course of the next hour, we'll discuss what it's like to score a hat-trick for your country, making a name in football at such a young age, and what it meant to score over 100 goals for Arsenal. That is the milestone goal for Walcott, number 100 in an Arsenal shirt. It gives him a two-goal cushion. You're listening to Upfront with Theo Walcott and me, Sam Matterface, on TalkSport. Today's guest is a man who has been playing professional football for 15 years, which is startling when I reveal that at the time of recording this, he is just 31. He had a decade playing for the England team. I think he'll tell me that he's not retired yet anyway. Won the FA Cup twice, was a runner-up in the League Cup and was the BBC Young Sports Personality of the Year in 2006. That was the year his selection in a squad shocked the world. Today, he's home. After 13 years at Arsenal, where he scored 108 goals in 397 games in the Champions League, uh, League Cup, FA Cup and the Premier League. And then three seasons with Everton, he's back at Southampton. It's the man who Pep Guardiola once said he's so rapid he needed a pistol to stop him. It's the fast and never furious Theo Walcott. Hello. Hello, you can keep on going if you want. <laughs> Don't mind. Rack them off. I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Um, is it true you're always smiling? Because you are, aren't you? Every time I see you, you've always got a big smile on your face. Is that a personality trait or is it something that you're, you're just determined to enjoy everything that comes your way? Do you know, I always just feel like life is about smiling and just especially during these times, I feel it's really made people actually slow down and really appreciate what they love in life, honestly. But with me moving down to Southampton now, with this is just honestly brought back so many great memories. Anyway, I, I generally smile. I've not changed from day one, um, and I've always will be like this because I feel like it's important to, you know, I feel like people can sort of feed off your sort of energy. It's always about being positive, and I've just stayed positive constantly, and especially particularly now, I've um, never been so. So happy, honestly. Well, that's great to hear. Uh, this programme is about being a forward. What holds greater pleasure for you? Scoring a goal or making a goal for somebody else? Um, do you know what? Honestly, one of the best feelings is to score a goal. really is. Especially when you're through a goal, you could tend to back yourself. But I'm someone who, who would, if someone's in a better position, I always believe that's the best ball to, to do. And then it's his problem to put it in the net. It's an unbelievable feeling to score. Even scoring my first goal for Saints the other day, um, I know there was no fans in the stadium, but 
it's it is honestly generally the best feeling but it's it's makes it more if there's people there to just to embrace that sort of celebrations with you um, but yeah no it's scoring goal you are a forward you've played across the line you've played as a winger you've played as a, a, a as a, a as the striker how have you seen yourself over the years over the years I feel like I've adapted in each position I've always said um, I love playing up front um, especially in a two uh, I feel like I'm more you know I could offer a lot more as a two um, but now when when I've been playing out wide I'm a bit more inside and I feel like it's a little bit closer to the goal where I want to be, not really stuck out on the wide and uh, I feel like you can affect a lot more games. Uh, and Because I've had that sort of relationship playing up front with someone, when you're playing a bit more inside on a wing, sort of that natural sort of instincts of playing as a striker comes into play um, and things just sort of happen without you really thinking about it. I always believe like a lot of footballers, you ask them, you know, how do you do that? And they'll just be like, just happened, just did it. Um, and that's what I feel like when I'm playing up front, it just happens. Do you have to work on those instincts or is that something that has come naturally to you or something that you shaped over time? Do you know, I always see when you see players sort of train afterwards and they, they practice drills of certain sort of instincts they're going to be in the game. Sometimes you can get bad habits from that because you're not really at the same sort of, you know, obviously your energy and intensity of a game. Um, so I'm not someone who does that a lot because I don't like to be in that sort of sort of passive sort of mode. If you're going to do a drill like that, you need to be full out and you need to do it. Um, I've seen, especially being at Santa, I've seen quite a lot of the guys do a lot of drills and they are full, like they're in a match situation. I think that's really important just to sort of emphasise that really. I just go with the flow, to be honest. I really do. And I like to, I like to watch and study other players when they're doing these drills. I sort of used to think, you know, when I was 15, 16, I used to love just keep on smashing the ball, not even any, no warm up at all. Um, and these, I mean, I can't really do that now. I need a really good warm up to get going. So believe it or not. Happens to us all. Yeah, it happens to us all, doesn't it? Definitely. But Walcott's picked it back off of Ramsey and he's shot towards the far corner. What a goal! Oh, he's taken it brilliantly. He looked like Thierry Omri with that number 14 on his back. Did you and Arsene ever fall out about what you were? Did you? Did you sort of like suggest to him that you were a forward and he was like, no, no, I want you to do something different or was he fully on board with that? Did you ever sort of have crosswords about what you wanted to be? I would say we have fallen out. Um, I remember there was a period when I played up front quite a lot, but I kept on getting moved out to the right. If someone would come on off the bench, then I was sending forward, oh, let's move here to the right, which is a good thing to have in your sort of armory, to be honest. Um but the way Arsenal played as well with, with three up front, it made sense for me to be more on the right-hand side, to be honest. And in my Southampton days, you know, I played you know, on the right-hand side. Nathan Dyer was on the left. We had Dave McGoldrick up front or Dexter Blackstock up front. So I, I've always had that sort of natural right-hand side element, to be honest. Mm. Um, but as soon as I started to watch Arsenal a lot more and see Thierry Henry, especially being my idol, it just made me want to be more of a striker. Um but yeah, I, like I said, I only had a handful of games up front, but I did did okay up to them. Excluding the team that you're in now, and I won't ask you to include Southampton, mainly because it's not fair, what's the best team you've ever played in? One of the best teams I played would have been when Cesc Fabregas and Van Persie were on song with each other and me in there as well. Um, I remember one particular season, I pretty much set up, I don't know, 14 of Robin's 30-odd goals in one season. So for me, them two in a team with me as well was probably one of the best teams I've played in to be honest and that's with England as well 
but honestly, sneakily, this this Saints team's not bad. Really, really not bad at all. <laughs> okay, we'll hold you to that. Um, <laughs> I had to get it in. Had to. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll we'll revisit Southampton then, and let's go back to the start because you linked up with the first team originally, just two weeks after leaving school. But the murmurs around you as a prospect, as a as a teenage prodigy, had started well before that. I think Nike signed you at fourteen. How did you become a footballer? Strange, strange way to be honest. I took it very late. My mate um, was currently playing for Steventon, um, just a local team, and I just thought, oh, I'll come and watch you play. Really, I'll come and watch you play. He's like, great. I come there. I'm literally in my school uniform, school shoes, everything. I haven't got any of the gear, and um, someone actually didn't turn up, and they need an extra man, more extra kid to play. And I was like, yeah, well, I'll play. I don't know what to do, but I'll give it a go. End up scoring right foot, left foot and a header, perfect hat trick. After that, um, my mate was a bit like, you know, you're not bad at this. Maybe we should uh, take it a bit further. And then every day at school, we always used to reenact sort of our own, you know, at the time it was Nike, sort of Nike adverts and Adidas adverts, all that side of things. Um, we used to generally do that every single lunchtime, break time. And then I managed to go on sort of the newbie district side of things. Um, when I went to Jersey tournament and that's when um, a scout Malcolm Elias picked me up which I'm still in contact with now at Southampton um, so it was the weirdest thing that I wasn't really interested in football at all really wasn't it was just I don't know why I wasn't um, it's just the way I was How quickly is that process then? Tell me you don't know what you're doing you, you, you turn up you take your school shoes off you get on the pitch you score three goals and then you're at Southampton what's the turnaround? Well, originally, I quickly, I went to Swindon briefly. I was still a kid and I had to grow up so fast around men, adults that have been in the game for so long, mm. um, which was scary. But, you know, at that age, you just don't even, you're not even fear of anything, to be honest. I wasn't anyway. There was such a lack of fear in you that didn't you almost kill Dennis Wise with a football? <laughs> yeah, I love Dennis. Basically, Dennis came up to me and said, look, Theo, can you make cups of teas for the guys on the coach? I just said to him, no, I don't know. And, and then I sort of put my headphones back on and he must have thought, who's this little, you know, so-and-so type thing. To be, to be honest, I didn't even know how to make teas. Um, that's probably one reason. But again, I don't want to really want to be carrying hot teas down a busy coach. But anyway, weeks went on and uh, I've just warmed up at the um, Staplewood Marchwood training facility and I was whacking the ball against the sideboards. And um, at the time, I don't know if you've been there when it was just literally port cabins. I missed the boards and I over, overhit it, went through the glass into the gym. Uh, and then Dennis Wise comes out and you can imagine <laughs> the lyrics that were said by his <laughs> tone. Um, that's who that did all the, and honestly, I myself, I generally did <laughs> thinking, oh no, first the tease, now this. Um, he came out and he said, I was like, oh, sorry, Dennis, it's me. So I literally owned up to it straight away because I thought, I'm not going to duck out of this. I'll take responsibility. And he was like, oh, don't worry about fear. No worries. Um, so I don't know if it was sounding a little bit like, look, it's not off this young kid. He's starting to make his way at Southampton or Dennis really got on me very well. But I like to think he got on me very well and I had a lot of respect for him. So I feel like, um, yeah, that was, uh, he owed me that thing. Maybe, why not? But he asked him his leg. Uh, but he, could, he took it like a man, like he always was. <laughs> That's going to be the cue for the arrival 
Theo Walcott, 16 years, 143 days old. He's going to become Southampton's youngest ever player, beating the record set by Danny Wallace back in 1980. You made your debut for Southampton at 16 years and 143 days old against Wolverhampton Wanderers. What was that feeling like? I looked absolutely terrified, but as soon as I stepped over that white line, it was me being play, me playing football, what doing what I do best. Didn't matter who I was up against. I didn't really care. I just wanted to have the ball at my feet and run as fast as I could, like a bit like a headless chicken at times, but that's just the way I were really young. Um, no fear. And it caused havoc to a lot of players. It just did. It was just a new style that, you know, that you were starting to see slowly. I get the sense that I'm sort of like that quite like now again. I feel that again, that sort of buzz of when I step over that line, I get that feeling. You know, I've had times when, you know, you, you may have fallen out of love with football, which is so hard to say and admit at times, but sometimes you can be in a dark place. You can, um, depending on where you are and injuries, etc. But I just get the sense of that sort of reoccurring in my in my body, which is... Hence why I'm smiling all the time. Well, that's good to see. Um, were you smiling as much? Because clearly there was a buzz about you just five, six months into your, your professional career where there were clubs circling, trying to prize you away from Southampton. You did move in that January. But in the period leading up to that Arsenal transfer, what was going on? Who, who was sort of knocking at your door saying, Theo, come join us? Well, I had Chelsea, Liverpool were the main ones and obviously Arsenal. Um, but Chelsea scared the hell out of me. I was a ball boy. So they invited me to be a ball boy. I got to meet all these first team players. Zola had pictures of all these players in the dressing room. And it was just too much for my little eyes, really, and my head to take. I thought, this is too much first team side things. And, he, and Southampton, this was Malcolm Elias, going back to the, the jersey thing. Um, he just showed me all the academy side of it. And that made me feel like Southampton's the right club for me. Right. And then they developed me and then going to the, you know, what you're saying about the next clubs. Yeah, Chelsea come back in again, uh, Liverpool, Arsenal. And it was one thing, my idol was there, really, my uh, Thierry Henry. And as well, Arsene, the fact that he gave so many opportunities to young players and what Arsenal come off the back of, obviously the Invincibles and all those players, I just felt in Highbury and the new plans of the stadium, I just thought, you know, I couldn't say no to this at all, uh, that's this opportunity. And um, I wouldn't change it for the world. And yeah, honestly, one of the best decisions that I've made, really us. Well, very quickly, you went to Arsenal and you. I, I wonder what it was like just walking into that training ground and seeing Thierry Henry meeting this team that was surging to a European Champions League final. You'd gone from playing at Southampton. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that you were turning up in school shoes and just going, oh, what's this game all about? It was, do you know what was the hardest thing about it was actually lying to some of our Southampton teammates and saying, oh, is he going to be at Arsenal playing with Thierry and all this? And Burkham, I'm a little bit like, you know, someone in headlights really, just thought, oh my God, like really thinking, oh God, that's a big thing actually. But, and then not really sort of confirming it to them. But as soon as I walked in, the first person I saw had to be, and it was Thierry Henry, wasn't it? I look so starstruck and then Pires comes in and then, and then Bloomberg. Jens Lane and Sol, Ashley, all these unbelievable players. I'm like, what am I doing? This is, in I was lit like a kid with his autograph book going around like, oh my God, look at this. But then when I go on the field, I'm just like, I'm just going to do what I do. And that's, a, and I just never looked back. And um, I took little bits from each player and saw them on and off the field. And I feel like 
I've never changed when I from that little kid up to now, which I'm proud of myself to be able to sort of do that up to uh, this long. So um, yeah, now I'm really looking back at it. Really good. Well, it was a great decision for you, and and, and especially show it so in that period because although you weren't playing for Arsenal in that season, you were selected by Sven Joran Eriksson, the England manager for the World Cup squad in 2006. Now, I heard a story, and you can tell me if this is wrong, uh, that Sven Joran Eriksson came to the training ground in a helicopter cool. to tell you um, that you were in the in the squad and your Arsenal teammates were gobsmacked by it. What actually happened? How did you find out? Uh, well, I got whispers from Arsene that Sven was going to come to watch myself. And I'm a little bit okay. Didn't really think much of it. And then it was just, he started to come a bit more. And then... Um, Basically, when I knew your cup squad, there was again rumors that, oh, I might be in a 30 or, and then, you know, that's it. And then I didn't really know that I'd been straight away in the 23. And that really took me by surprise. And I was with my old man and then he had all the Sky News, everything on. There was people saying all sorts of things, which I look back at now and I'm like, oh yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I didn't play. Yeah, you're right again. Didn't play. Yeah, but I didn't pick it. Like, honestly, the amount of people that always come up to me like, oh, you shouldn't have got yeah okay I shouldn't have gone maybe you shouldn't but I may maybe into the person the player I am now if I didn't go I probably wouldn't be the person I am now I would have you know so I just feel like that was an unbelievable experience for me to be there mm. and to actually witness like a boy's dream really it really was so and no one can ever take that away from me which is great you know I've got well it's the famous pictures of me in my little camcorder going around <laughs> filming layers and stuff like I was on tour type thing so um which is a, a very good watch interesting watch did you feel ready to play in a world cup were you as gobsmacked as everybody else oh yeah I was gobsmacked I was but I was ready and as well I was just like just like I just wanted to play again I was I was so nervous trust me in these games when the England games I was like oh my god I might come on oh no I won't come on but then the next day I'll get up for myself and work hard and training and really just enjoyed it and smiled in my face. And it comes to the game again, I was so nervous. But as soon as I'd go off to, up to warm up at halftime or whatever, it's fine because I'm on a football pitch and I just feel like, oh, this is where I want to be playing the football. Um, so it was all the beginning sort of emotions of, oh, I might or I might not come on. It was hard to take at times when you go from high to low and you got to sort of do it again and again and again. But I think that experience helped me to develop the way I am now. What did the other members of the squad make of your inclusion and did they embrace you or did they whack you around the back of the head like Dennis Wise would and say uh, put that camera down? Do you know what they embraced me because as soon as they saw me play and train they thought oh he's not bad at all I can see why he's here now mm. they may have thought before he shouldn't be there and they're probably right but as soon as I play football and I train with them they thought he doesn't look out of place here at all and I never felt out of place on the training field mm. at all you ask Ashley Cole. Um, I trained with him in Seoul and it was great having them two with me because they generally looked after me the whole trip. They really did. They were great. They, I can't thank them enough for what they did. Um, and if anyone had anything to say, I'm sure Seoul would have dealt with them. <laughs> um, so, yeah, honestly, I never looked out of place. I really didn't. And yeah, I look back at it now and think that was bloody brilliant. Really loved it. Oh, what a fantastic experience for anyone. But to, to do it at 17 years of age is pretty impressive. Um, it didn't go that smoothly straight afterwards. I mean, what was your reaction to Sven leaving after the World Cup? You, I mean, his point of taking you was it'll benefit you for future tournaments, but then within a couple of months, Steve McLaren's in charge and he's putting you in the 21s. What, 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 how did you react to that? So I remember S Steve McLaren phoning me and saying to me, look, um, well, I'm 17, I'm going to put you in the 21s. And a little bit, I was like, Phew. 
thank God. Okay, thanks. Type thing because I'm like I'm 17. I want I can play now. I can play in these tournaments. Um, he said, "Oh, you to build a bit more experience in the 21s, and then to be ready for us." So I was a little bit like, "Okay, great. This is brilliant. I can really make my name for myself and just be for England now." I thought I felt it was a very good decision. To be fair, Walcott. And Percy challenges. Around this stage of your career, it's starting to take off an Arsenal. Arsenal now in a, in a bit of a period of transition, 2006-2007. It's your first season in the Premier League. What's that first season like, being with Arsenal? I remember coming on for Freddie Lundberg, I think, against Villa. Mm. And again, it was so surreal. But the fact that I've had all this preparation and from the World Cup to training every day over these Dennis Burkamp and all these players. I was ready. I was ready to do it and um, managed to set up the first goal against Villa for Gilberto. And if, then that made me feel part of the team and I was part of the squad because I've actually now finally played. But before that, I, felt, I did feel part of the team. They made me feel part of it. But the, for me personally, match day, I never felt part of it, even though I was on benches and especially with the, the Champions League run um, when obviously Thierry Henry ran through at the the Bernabeu, I was on the bench, like type thing, which is mad to see. There's a picture of me with Sol Perez and that lot in the dressing room. It's a great picture, which I love. Um, so yeah, but that that first game at the Emirates, I, I felt like this is me now. I'm ready for it. Yeah, is, is is that because you're actually making an impact, and and that's the key thing, isn't it? For a fo- for any footballer, it's 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 okay being a part of things, but actually until you're you're involved in it and you're creating something or you're contributing to the team, it doesn't feel like you're in it. Yeah, no, exactly that. Um, and even the years gone by, like I, I was playing a lot and I wasn't finishing games and then people were like, oh, he's not finished games and all this. Again, that was just whispers of stuff, but quietly in the background, I'm just developing, I'm like 19 now and I'm actually I've watched, I put on a old, it was an old Tottenham game, I think it was. And Walcott sprinting away on the right and Van Persie has found him. He's inside the penalty area. He chips it over the top of the goalkeeper and he finds the corner of the net and Theo Walcott may just have won the North London derby for Arsenal. And I watched myself and I'm like, bloody hell, I was really good. <laughs> <laughs> um, which I've never really watched myself like that before. And watched At 19, I thought, God, I'm really quick. You know, I've had times in the, in the game like, can I get past him? Can, am I that quick still? Just got to believe in yourself still, which I'm at now. Which is what I'm at. Some, you know, years gone by, I might have been like, oh, I can't do it quite anymore. Um, but now I feel like I can do that again. That 19 year old kid, I can do that sort of sprint and that, you know, recovery and just sort of run past people and make people get on the back foot and be scared again. That's when I'm playing at my best, when I'm not thinking about it and just going and doing what I do best. Talk to me about the first goal you scored for Arsenal. So I can always picture the goal. I can probably picture most of my goals, but this one particularly, I can always see every single move and even know all the players that I went past and who gave me the ball, everything. And when Diaby gave me that ball and I ran through on John Terry and then opened up and then obviously put him past Petr Cech. That's a lovely ball through and a chance and it's the first goal! Walcott has scored his first ever goal for Arsenal and what a day to get it! The emotion that it just expressed and came out and even from all the teammates. I love Philip Senderos's bit when he sort of celebrates, like, get in there type thing. And then he was like, oh, crap, I've got to get back to my position. That's how serious he was always. And everyone else just joined in and got involved. And again, I think there's footage of it. the video goes to Thierry Henry as well, I think, behind the bench. And he's 
dead happy. And so it meant so much to me, but it meant so much to a lot of other people because they've seen how much hard work that he's done up to now and all the stuff that's gone on. You know, he's, you know, scored the first goal in a Carling Cup final, which isn't a bad place to play. But sadly, we, we couldn't win. Um, it's just the way it is. You had so many great moments at Arsenal. What is your favourite Arsenal goal? We've spoken about your first one. What What's your favourite? I've got I've got quite a few favourites. I scored over 100 goals, so I've got quite a few. So my favourite one, yeah, number one. I'll go for the FA Cup final. Headed down, second ball won by Walcott. Arsenal straight first in the 2015 FA Cup final. And it's Theo Walcott who's got the goal. A man preferred to Olivier Giroud on the back of his hat-trick against West Bromwich Albion last weekend. Firstly, I'm English. FA Cup final for me and... For many other, you know, particularly English people and players, it's so it means so much. But I might not have played that game if I didn't score a hat trick the week before, maybe mm-hmm. because I was only getting back really um, from my knee injury. I scored a hat trick against West Brom, and now Arsenal's probably I can't leave them out now <laughs> type thing. So yeah, uh, that would have to be my favourite. You had so many great players around you over the course of your career, your 13 years or more at Arsenal. Adebayor, Henri, Nasri, Sesk. You mentioned Robin Van Persie earlier on. Who did you enjoy playing with the most? I spoke to someone about this the other day, actually, and debated a couple, but it would have to be Robin. Like, for me, Robin Van Persie was probably the best finisher I've ever seen. Generally, better than Thierry Henry, better than anyone I've seen because he generally made it look so easy you always knew he's going to get on that left foot and he made my job so easy he really did because I'll do something give it to him he's going to score for you he just that was the way he was especially that you know a few seasons when he really wanted the golden boot and he'd go for it and he was an absolute dream play with that left foot was incredible and I generally don't think there's ever going to be a player like him ever again I'm going to go back to the smiling thing again and that innate happiness that you project there's always been there, even in the face of injury once, I remember, right? And you mentioned it, you know, with the, the reaction to the injury against Tottenham. And, and and sort of delving into the sort of the face of criticism as well, because you had a bit of criticism when you were young. You were still very young. People accused you of being more of a sprinter than a footballer, not having a footballing brain, which sounds incredibly harsh. How did you react to that? I scored over 100 goals for Arsenal, so that says it all. Not many <laughs> people do that. And... I just let my football talk, really. I mean, if you've not got a football brain and you score over 100 goals, that's okay, isn't it? If I haven't got a football brain and I score over 100 goals for Arsenal, yeah, it just doesn't make sense, really, for me. Whoever said the footballing brain thing, maybe they need to look at themselves. But I'm someone that I'm, I'm the, my best critic. So I would generally watch all my games and then think, well, that one good. I maybe could have done that. Um, but I don't look too much into, like, really for, oh, that's terrible type thing I just think okay if that happens again we can do this or we can do that plenty more to come on up front with Theo Walcott as he discusses why finishing fourth in the Premier League with Arsenal was seen as satisfactory by some people at times it felt like that was good enough for Arsenal as felt like it was a bit of a medal but for us players we want to win this but at times like the club would be happy with us finishing fourth this is up front with Theo Walcott and me Sam Matterface on TalkSport 
United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Fabregas winning the ball very well indeed, feeding it through to the left-hand side. Now Van Persie keeps the ball in play. Back to Walcott. Walcott with a brilliant finish. Oh, it's absolutely wonderful from Arsenal. You want to be successful in any industry, doing whatever job you are doing. Being a self-starter and always searching for improvement is a major, major facet. Yeah, like, I mean, why go into any sort of role that you don't want to improve and do better. Like I go training every day and think I want to be better than I was yesterday. I want to be better than that player because it's always, you're competing against people. Like for me, I always used to think I'm trying to please someone. No, I want to please myself because if I do things that I know what's got me in the first place, it's only going to benefit myself and the team. But you got to have that aspect of respect for others as well. Like I say, with any role in the world you do day to day, you know, for me, even walk past someone, I smile. I give them a smile, even with the face masks on. I smile with my eyes. You can just tell I'm smiling. I feel like that's a big thing to do. And I do that every day. I'm always wanting to release positive things and positive energies. If I go to work and I've done something right, I think, right, let's go on again. Let's be positive about things. Or if I didn't do that right, okay, let's, let's be positive tomorrow. Let's try and improve on what I didn't do yesterday. So that's just who I am in day to day. Even with driving the car, I used to be you know, like everyone probably road raged or whatever. Now, what's the point? There's no need. Why get all stressed and angry over something and someone I'm never going to meet? Uh, I've been like that for years now. Um, so, um, and my driving's a lot better now. We are still in a breaking play here because Theo Walcott is being put onto a stretcher and it did look as though he was holding his knee. Is that how you got over your injuries? Because you did have some some bad injuries didn't you I mean you've had back injuries knee injuries shoulder injuries hamstring injuries ankle injury you've, you've had a lot haven't you what was the worst time you had with injury and, and how did you deal with it to be fair I've, I've not had many muscle ones I've had all these impact ones um, so I've had the shoulders which were just born blame my dad for that I suppose um, the knee injury um, was, was, the, was the hardest out of all, all of them uh, because not really knowing um, that I did that at the time with the Tottenham fans throwing the pennies and pounds at me it was mad that's why I did the 2-0 so I got pelted by coins it was just like wow I could go get some sweets here with this money honestly it was that much um, but yeah it was the it was the knee one um, because I went in I didn't have much swelling and all the tests were fine all good all fine and I was like oh okay 
because it was really weird when I did the injury. It was like I had a really sharp pain for 20 seconds and then I was fine and I could straighten my knee, I could do stuff. And I was like, okay. So I didn't much think much of it. But to have a scan because I could have a scan because there wasn't much fluid on it or any, no swelling. And I remember getting the phone call, I'll never forget getting the phone call from the doc. And he said, you're sitting down. And I was like, oh, like literally. And everything just sunk into me. And I was like, just went so white, like, oh my God. And then obviously burst out in tears and my, and my wife, Mel, she was looked after me massively. But then I looked back at that and thought, thought this is a blessing because my son was born and I got to win it as well. And not many people, players, particularly in sports, anything will sometimes miss it. And I never missed it. And for me, I look back and I think, you know, things happen for a reason. And that was my reason. And again, I, I wouldn't change it. Mm. I really wouldn't. I know it sounds weird. You're out for 11 months, but I wouldn't because I looked at, look at, look at football differently from when I, when I have kids now as well. Um, I always think about them. They're on my boots. I always think about them. I'm doing it for them. Not just me now. I'm doing it for them. Legacy type thing. And so I'm now so pleased that hopefully they can now see me play actually because he's starting to get into it. They weren't really into it before. Um, so hopefully now they can start to see me play. And, and especially where I started off, it's just weird how sort of things happen. It's like a, it's like a film really. Like it's full cycle. It's really strange. Being a substitute can also be mentally tough. Did you enjoy being a sub, coming on, relishing the opportunity to try and change the game? Do you know, I always enjoyed being involved. Be it starting, obviously, that's the pinnacle. You want to start games, obviously. But then if you don't start and you're disappointing, which you, a lot of players can just be, oh, pointing the finger at the manager or for not picking me or whatever. I said, no, let's try and think, right, let's make sure if I get a chance to come on, even if it's be it 10, 5, it doesn't matter affect the game, make a headache for the following week. Okay, if you don't get in again, let's try and affect the game. And if it keeps on going and you affect the game, you're still not playing, then you need to start asking questions like, okay, what do you want me to do to get in the team? You bring me on the bench, I come off, I score, or I do this. So again, it's going back to that sort of positive sort of feeling. Well, why be all emo- like negative about being on the bench? I feel like I've played in the Premier League for so long I've embraced every moment. I'm living a lot of people's sort of dreams right now. Okay, I'm going to affect the game. Now Now it's squads. You can see these big squads that are, it's a whole team. That's why it's a team. That's why it's going back to the Southampton team. When you asked me about the best team I played for, and I said, you know, maybe Sesc or Robin, generally this is Southampton teams, a very good team. They're like together, the trust. Like I said, I never really took it too much to heart, but I'm sure my family or whatever would have, but, Again, I can only affect what I do. I can't affect what the manager does. I brought it up mainly because I remember a game in the Champions League quarterfinal against Barcelona. You're on the bench and you're watching your team getting pulled apart. And then you get the little, come on, you're getting involved here. And everything changes. Here's Walcott, matching off a bet acceleration that kind of spark it's just a pity he wasn't on earlier I just go for it we're playing against the best team in the world we've got the best player on the field who then after the game says these comments which were just surreal they really were we managed to get a, a fairly good result <laughs> um, and yeah I, like I say I just played with no fear I've got nothing to lose I hope if you come off the bench at times you've got nothing to lose you really haven't if you're losing you go on there to try and affect the game if you come off and you've done everything you can but you, the game's the way it was it's just the way it is but 
you've got nothing to lose as a sub. You need to go on there and just do your best. That's all you can do. They were in control of the game, but you came on and completely switched it around. I think it was 2-0 when you came on and it ends up, I think you end up drawing the match. You create yeah, my, goal after goal and it, 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 they're, 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 they're afraid of you. You know, if people play high lines, you need to run in behind. You need to be different and be different to what we were doing in the first place. We had a lot of people coming to feet, trying these little things. And when you got, you know, when the, the player there at the back as well, that that's quite quick. But center ass, no, they're not quick. They're not used to someone that are running in behind them constantly. It's why that's what I'm good at and I still am. I can do those constantly. I can run and sprint all the time. It's just the sort of the continuous sort of jogs I'm rubbish at. But generally, it was just so different to what they're used to on a, you know, in, the, in Spain. Um, and that's just the way I played. And the fact that Sesk that knew my strengths made his job easy as well. He'd know when to put it into space or when to put the feet. And then it, it was just a different sort of aspect of the game. It completely, yeah, it changed. And then messing afterwards about myself was just like oh bloody hell even if Messi's saying it it's, it's, it must be okay okay so Messi comes out afterwards and he talks about how dangerous you are and, and what else does he say that makes you blush well, not what he said like so but when he had the ball and he wanted to face off on me at times he would turn out and go the other way and I thought okay so Messi doesn't want to try and run past because he's seen how fast I am that's a good sign so years gone by we play a lot, a lot of games as well against Barcelona yeah. he asked for my shirt and I was like so Messi, Lionel Messi is playing the world is asking for my shirt. Wow. I mean, that it just, again, it just, it, yeah, I got no words. Walcott, he's gone away from Papier. He's got three to cross to. played in some crazy games at Arsenal, didn't you? I mean, the 4-4 with Liverpool, the Arshavin scores all those goals, the hat-trick against Reading in the League Cup when the team come back from 4-0 down. Was it fun being involved yeah. in games like that? These are mad games. The the, the, the run when I did for Adebayor's goal and he's doing some sort of mad dance and all the players run to me because I've just run the whole pitch. You see that endlessly. I'm just going to say it's probably one of the best assists in Champions League. I don't care. I'll, I'll admit it now. <laughs> um... But it's funny because then obviously we played Liverpool the year after or even that same year and I do a similar run to Farrar Chauvin's fourth goal watching it back and you can hear the fans like, oh, here we go again type thing um, because as soon as I've got the ball they're like, no, no, what's going to happen? He's going to run as fast as he can with the ball and it'll be a problem and that's exactly what happened. When anyone discusses your career, they'll obviously focus on Arsenal. And Arsenal were a club for many years expected to win but as time went on under Arsene, it felt from the outside as if league challenges had been replaced by an acceptance of top four football. Did that desire to lift silverware in the dressing room diminish or was it always there, but maybe we just didn't see it? No, I think you're rightly spot on there. I think it was always there, but we just didn't quite see it. There was when I remember Mikel, he grabbed everyone and that showed why he's a manager now. He's a strong character. It showed what he is now. And we changed things. And then after that period of whatever happened, truths were said. People wouldn't have liked to hear things they were told or whatever. It was just the way we had to be. We had to be a bit more brutal with each other. We're too nice at times. And then we end up winning a couple of cups. And then we constantly got in the Champions League. At times it felt like that was good enough for Arsenal. It felt like it was a bit of a medal. But for us players, we want to win things. But 
at times like the club would be happy with us finishing fourth and it was like oh, okay so what so then you sometimes you get a feeling from other players like okay fourth's good enough that's fine and then you don't want to push that a little bit more so I might not push that more and I'm a little bit like no like especially winning the FA Cups it's like no, I've got more than just the FA Cup for me the FA Cup brilliant I absolutely love it but I know for some other players that wouldn't be enough at all mm. and it was just a shame that we couldn't quite do it it was particularly the the, the less the season was the one for me when you think of the amount of points they wanted by and they were brilliant they were but we beat, we're the only team to beat them twice as well we were the year when we should have done something and that was really disappointing look back at that season particularly and for Leicester for how brilliant they were as a team and everything but that was the year Arsenal should have won it Do you think that that hunger uh, that is required to win big trophies ebbed away because the board seemed to be satisfied with being in the top four? I think that needs to be regardless of of, of every, every game. Like you want to, obviously the ultimate goal is to win things, but I feel like it's that same, and I know a lot of players say it, the boring answer of oh, go on to the next game, go on. but that's true. That's the way it is. You want to be and work as hard as possible in a day-to-day and each game and not really think about the aim until it's really at grasp. Then you can really think about it. Um, so you need to be on it every day and every game and then you'll see where you are. And then when you get close to it, then you can slowly think, okay, yeah, now we believe, we really believe that we can do it. But maybe at times we never quite believed in it. Maybe we didn't believe in our strengths at times when we had plenty of it. That's the problem. Lovely ball. It's Walcott. It couldn't be, could it? It is, you know, it's a hat-trick for Theo Walcott. Just sensational. Theo Walcott has scored a hat-trick as a teenager for England. His first international goals. And England are in the process of recording one of their most stunning victories for many a long year. When anyone ever discusses your career, there is obviously so much to discuss we've gone through so much already inevitably the centrepiece is Croatia Fabio Capello giving you your, your your first competitive start in an England jersey and then all of a sudden you're in Zagreb and you're scoring three goals away against the team that just two years previously had humiliated England you're only 19 at the time what do you remember of that day it's mad it goes flies by like I remember I obviously remember all the goals I remember playing pretty much the whole game with a stud missing I remember my, my old man was in the stands and he was having a great night but then after I remember obviously getting the, the ball signed by all the lads oh, that's it that's it really it's weird when, you, when you're in England you go back to the hotel and everything's the same and when I got home it really a lot of people then it hit me a bit more then when loads of people want to talk to me and seeing like the goals over and over again. It was like, bloody, okay, I've scored that trip for England. This is mad. And then when I came off, for, when I look at back and I came off for Beckham, I thought, ah, oh, it's like, bloody hell. Like, you know, all these pictures I see and I get a tap from Capello on the back. I thought, yeah, it was brilliant. Um, but that's lead me on to another story with Capello, actually, which was, you know, after a couple of camps being with him, I missed a meeting once. I am always like to be on time. I don't like to leave people, like before this, I was bang on time, I think. I went to John Terry and I'm young and I was like, JT, I'm sorry, I missed, um, I missed a meeting. Like, I missed a meeting. Um, you know, I'm sorry, but he's like, oh, don't worry about it, you're fine. Don't worry about it. Um, so I thought, all right, no, I'm going to go to Capello's room. And not, I knocked on his door. And I said, um, boss, I'm so sorry, I missed a meeting. And he just shrugged his shoulders and closed the door on me. And I thought, how 
rude is that? And I go to John Terry, one of the most respectful guys in the camp, and he's like, don't worry about fear. And I go to the manager, and then he does that to me. I'm like, bloody hell. I think he lost his job a few weeks later. <laughs> um, you, uh, you, you, you were quite vocal about him being quite cold, weren't you? You, you, you wrote about him in, in your book. Did that go down particularly well? I remember going to, this is the night he actually got he, his job actually of England. Um, I was having a meal with my wife, Mel, and um, he was there. And I went and I said hello afterwards. I mean, my Mel, Mel gave him the death stare, I think. <laughs> I think it was. Um, yeah, it was strange. It was strange. That was the time when I, he didn't take me to the World Cup. That was the one time when I probably felt like a, after the Croatia got that World Cup, I didn't go. Sorry, the night he lost his job, you were in the same restaurant as him. Yeah, generally was. was I was in the. Um, it was I was um, Chinese. I was in the Dorchester. Dor- Dorchester, sorry, and I'm Chinese. He was having a great time. <laughs> it obviously just got a good payoff. <laughs> Maybe. Oh God. You played for quite a few England managers, didn't you? Um, Sven, Steve, Piercy, uh in the twenty ones. Fabio, Roy, Gareth. Who did you learn from most? I enjoyed working with Roy. I really did. After saying all the things about Pelé, I probably learned a lot of him because how he managed, particularly the players he had in his squad, how he managed of all those players was brilliant. It, in some sense, I know at times it can be cold, but it was really, it worked. Theo Walker on the edge of the penalty area. There are six England shirts inside the box. One of them is Andy Carroll, who's approaching the ball. It's away by the defender, Jonas Olsen. Comes back to Theo Walker with a world-class strike from 25 yards to equalise for England. He's been waiting a very long time to score again for England. Croatia seems years ago. It was, but it's a timely reminder of his abilities. You had to wait for four years after your hat-trick for your next England goal. And it came in Sweden, in Kiev. I remember it well because I was commentating on it. It was a fabulous match in Sweden. It really was. Maybe not to be involved in it, and maybe because it was a a tournament, it might not have uh, have appeared like that uh, from the outside. But it was a vital goal that you scored as well. What did that mean to you to score in a major tournament for your country? Well, I remember when it came out from from the corner, and then the celebration was a little bit like... Did that actually go in? I was like a bit sort of confused, like, oh, like type thing. Because I looked at it and I thought, the keeper could have saved that. Surely he could have saved it. Like, but it obviously took him by surprise. And then what I was more pleased about it was the it was the next goal, setting up Danny Welbeck's goal. Um, and he took goal. his goal very well. Here's Walcott, the man who scored their equaliser, bursting into the box, past two defenders, gets across into Welbeck. Yes, Danny! Oh, yes, Danny! my word! Danny Welbeck with a lovely goal! It's a PlayStation goal for England. That was me being at my best, driving at the defenders, making them try and make a decision. I go past them, and then he took he took it brilliantly. To be honest, he did. So yeah, that pleased me the most. And then obviously we had Italy, the, and then um, yeah, the rest is history. Really, that was a fun night. That was good. England often get to the latter stages of tournaments without going that final step. Why do you think that is? It's it's a tricky one. I feel like now I'm like watching the England team now. Um, and obviously not retired at this time, but watching them, I get the sense of excitement and enjoyment back into watching the England team. I think people have a little bit of England with, you know, where they played or, or, you know, quite negative or whatever. But for now, I feel like the whole nation's behind the team again. And I, I gen, I really love watching England play. I love all this and all this side of things. Yeah, I'm, it's like, it's brilliant. And obviously playing against him 
as well when you see his stature of the sort of athlete he is and I'm like yeah, bloody hell yeah just playing for England I'm like a fan I'm genuinely like a fan for England now I never liked that so I feel like you're getting people like me that's I'm not, not retired from England but on that side of wanting England to do well and you're going to help the nation of you're getting everyone behind them you're getting players that play for England you've got players that are ex-players that are getting behind them and I feel like at times we put too much pressure on these guys to, to perform well and we're disappointed and then we like to just knock them down again but I feel like if there's a result or something that's not quite right we look in the positives about it about the next stages of the development of the team um, which I think has been probably credit to you guys to be honest because I feel like it's that side of it's changed um, and I feel like now a lot of the guys are more vocal in other things on, off the field as well. They're very vocal off, off anything they do in life and charity, charity work, etc. Again, I don't know the answer to why at times England sort of falls short, but I think we're nearly there. I do think we are really nearly there. We've got some fantastic young, I say young players, obviously very young, experienced players in the Premier League. I feel like we maybe can go the next. The fact that I say we shows that. I'm, I'm, like I say, I'm with them. So, um, yeah, I, I've just we've got to be patient with it. You've said three times over the course of the hour that we've been speaking that you're not retired from England yet. Um, do you ever think about pulling on the shirt again? Have you spoken to Gareth? Is there any sort of thought in your mind that there might be a pathway back? Who knows? Who knows? I Like I say, I just want to play well for Saints right now and play with myself and for the team and for the fans and for my family. And then, obviously, I would love to be put on back on England shirt. That's, that's the ultimate, again, um, to be part of this young squad. I've got an older head. I've got quite a few greys. I've got quite a lot of hair than I have. Um, so, why not? Who, who, you know, it's funny things have happened in the world. You know, I'm back at Saints, so, um, you know. Um, one of the things that has happened since you were last um, putting on an England shirt is, a, is that a lot of the players have become more vocal about um, talking about incidents of racist behaviour in football matches. They've got behind the Black Lives Matter campaign. You would have suffered at time, I'm sure, uh, from the stands' racial abuse or would have witnessed it. What do you think of what the current generation have been able to do? And, And how important do you think it has been that we've seen this major wave of support for that over the course of the last year or so? Yeah, it's like you say, the amount of support now and people actually listening to what people are saying instead of brushing it under the carpet, I feel it's really important for people to, to speak out on regards of any incidents that's happened in the world or anything. Um, and that just shows that this generation of players is very different to what it ever has been. And sport in general is a massive platform anyway. And you've got so many role models that you know kids look up to these guys. And if it starts from here, it's obviously going to help the next generation of coming through. That's what it, that's what it comes to next generation. We want to try and make that generation better now. Um, but I feel like we are on, you know, the right path. I really do. Obviously, important to keep on with the messages and to act on it, not just to continually sort of slogans and all this side of things. No, we need to actually act on it. And I feel like things are acting now, and which is really nice to see. Um, you know, I, I had an instant. Um, with, which was James Vaughan under 17s, I think, or 19s for England many years ago. And a player actually um, racially abused him and he reacted in the manner which you would expect. And, and then obviously we had to hold him back type thing. It was, it was horrendous. So 
that was all those years ago. So it's 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 always happening. So I feel like it's getting less and less because of what, not just what football's doing, but all sports and all backgrounds of every sort of society. So it's it's really good to see. Did you, did you feel that there was enough support when that incident happened? Not at all. Uh, not at all. Um, I feel like it. You know, it was. It would have been very difficult at 17, 60, whatever her age. I can't quite exactly remember how old we were, but we're very. And you've never really experienced it in a football match before at that age, so you, you're a bit sort of lost in what to do and who to go to, and you just sort of think, "Well, I'll keep it quiet." Um, so yeah, that's just the way it was back then. Uh, but I'm, I'm so that actually players are actually just sort of fed up and just you know, continue to act on it. It's really fair. I'm pleased that you've spoken about it and I'm pleased to, that we've had an hour of talking about what has been a terrific, terrific career. Uh, over 100 goals for Arsenal, 47 caps for England, FA Cup winners' medals and a, a goal to boot in a final. I'm sure there's so much more that we could have covered and haven't covered, but it's been an absolute delight. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. No problem at all. Thanks for me. Brilliant. You've been listening to Upfront with Theo Walcott and me, Sam Matterface. And if you missed any of the show or just want to catch up on previous episodes from the series, you can listen on the TalkSport app via the Game Day podcast feed. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.